0: From the Sunshine State, this is Tampa Bay's TAN Talk.
1: Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Check Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork.
2: one of racing's greatest all-rounders Belgium's Jackie X born on the 1st of January 1945 Jackie was twice runner-up in the Formula 1 championship six times a winner at Lamar and even won the Paris Dakar rally in 1983 X raced motorcycles saloons and in Formula 2 coming to the notice of Jackie Stewart he had huge natural ability especially in wet weather in 1969, he joined Brabham Formula One and finished second in the World Championship to Stewart. The original GT40, John Wire's golf team had Ickx as its number one driver, and in the lineup were Mike Hailwood, Brian Redman, and Derek Bell. It was a fearsome team, organised to the best possible standards. When Ford had built the GT40, they had expected the original 4.2-litre engine to do the job. And then came the 4.7, but it wasn't until the Gurney-Weslake heads came along that the John Wire team was able to win Le Mans 1968. For 1969 it appeared that the GT40 would be outclassed, and the car that was expected to replace it was the Porsche 917. 50 had been built, so it qualified as a production car. The drivers run across the road for the 1969 Le Mans 24-hour race, the last start of this kind. Joe Siffert was one of the favorites in the 3-litre long-tailed Porsche. Jackie Ickes was last away, making sure that his seatbelts were done up. In the early stages, the Fords were down in 10th and 11th places. But gradually, the Porsche steamroller began to run out of steam. The long tail's bodywork caused the gearbox oil to overheat. In the final hour, Porsche and GT40 exchanged places. Young Jackie Ickes in the Ford and the veteran Hans Herrmann, ex-Mercedes-Benz, in the Porsche. the last lap, the win went to the two Jackies, Ix and Oliver, and their Ford. It was the beginning of the Ix legend at Le Mans, six wins in total. So, what's the secret to doing well at Le Mans? I think you've got uh, the secret is that first you have to be extremely lucky, and second you have to be in uh, one of the best possible teams in Le Mans, otherwise you would not win. If you are assisted by a very good co-driver, then your chances increase too. But I think uh, the success is a lot of luck, I believe. Well, hello, this is uh, Jackie Hicks. You're listening to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
1: Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, tan talk 1340com and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, visit Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the archive page. And, hey, for those of you out there that just tuned in, we're also on YouTube live. What else are we on? Good evening there, uh, Mr. Tommy. We're YouTube, and then, I don't know. We stream live on our own website. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we stream live on our own website. Okay, well, one of these days... And all I'll,
0: these radio stations.
1: And all these radio stations. Oh, yeah, we're on five channels now, aren't we? We have uh, three stations with five channels. So we're on two FM, or three FM, two FM's, and I don't remember. we got a bunch of them. Is that what we got? we got three stations and two FM. I think there's three and three now, Robert. Three and three? Okay, see? All right, thanks for keeping me uh, up to date here. Anyway, we got a pretty good show for you tonight. This, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be our nine-year anniversary show. Congratulations, Robert. Nine years. Nine years. Going for ten. Going for ten. Now, it's funny because I I was debating whether I should play a uh, clip from my very first show, which, gosh, have I learned a lot. I really have. And I'm still learning more. You know, it's really... You know, you never stop learning. Anybody thinks they do or have is, uh, well, you always learn something. And uh, I have a real good friend of mine. His name's Ward. I've known Ward for 40 some odd years. And uh, Ward says, never let a day go by where you don't learn at least one thing. And you're never too old to learn. And that is true. You know, we had this debate the other day because we used the word I don't, but because uh, somebody called me an expert. In the car business. And I said, no, I'm not an expert and I don't know everything. There's guys out there that uh, that really just blow me away. In fact, we have a guest coming on here a little bit later this afternoon celebrating our nine-year anniversary with us. And he's uh, he would be considered an expert, but he doesn't even consider himself an expert. He considers himself... An enthusiast, a specialist. Okay, so I think if you use the term specialist, if you're really really good at something, you're a specialist. An expert, and, and you know, it sounds almost like uh, that's the end. You know everything, but you know, and 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 I run into these guys that say they're experts, and well, you know, uh, I'm sorry to inform them, they're not. You know, I, I I jokingly say this all the time because I'm a, uh, I was 30-some odd years. Well, I still am. I still deal in parts. Okay, so I'm kind of a walking parts book. And the first time I actually ran into somebody that really defined the word a walking parts book was a real good friend of mine, Ted. And Ted used to work for Grant Ford down in, 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 in St. Petersburg. That was the Ford dealership. Grant Ford dealership, and we had Walker Ford, and then we had Chick Smith Ford. And, uh, and Walker is still, you know, the last man standing, so to speak. You know, it's an independently owned dealership. And I have an account with them, and they service all my vehicles and stuff. You know, anything that I own that's a Ford, naturally. But Ted would just rattle off numbers. C9AZ. Twelve one twenty seven, whatever it might have been, which is the distributor. Or he go C eight O e four twenty four, which was probably an in- intake manifold. He go C seven A E AE-R R uh, sixty ninety, which is uh, the engineering number for a cylinder head. Okay, well over time that impressed me. That impressed me, it truly did. Over time, I learned that, but I learned that because. I was screwing around with those kind of parts on my cars because I was messing with Mustangs and Shelbys and Bosses and stuff. And those were significant numbers that we had to know, particularly if we were in the business and particularly since we were collecting parts and selling parts and trading parts. And so that just kind of evolved. Does that make me an expert? No. Am I fairly knowledgeable? Am I kind of a specialist in Fords, let's say, for example, or Porsche 356s? Yeah, those cars I can probably break down in parts in my head. I might not know all the parts numbers, but I pretty much know all the parts. So... I always tell people, don't say yourself, don't say you're an expert. Just say you're really, really good at something, or you're a specialist. Now we have somebody on the line. Who's on the line? I have a surprise uh, caller, longtime listener, but I think he might be a first-time caller, Robert. Really? Okay. Well, uh, welcome to Nostalgic Intern Cars, and uh, who? What's your line? <laughs> well, let's see. All I got
3: back from here. I uh, shift, I shift the can, the, the coffee can, that far to so, uh, be able to.
1: Turn in on the nine-year anniversary party. Oh, I i think I recognize this voice. I think you
3: should. Uh, think you should.
1: <laughs> That's my, my yeah, little... Yeah, I think you should. My <laughs> Bobby, <laughs> my son, how are yeah, you, buddy?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you think are, you could get him a new phone, maybe, Robert? Uh, yeah, you know, are you in the car? Or Yeah. Oh, okay, no. yeah. But, uh, but I'm not, but I'm, on, uh, I'm talking, talking into the phone. Are you talking into the phone? Okay, 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 good. Uh, well, uh,
3: see. I just suggested that I peeled the case back a little bit. There,
1: there you go. go. Now I can hear you just fine. I mean, if, if Tommy said, hey, we need to get him a new phone, then, you know, I'm thinking. Well, then okay. well, I guess uh, I'll
3: be waiting for it in the mail. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are uh, things? But as, well, you're talking about experts and specialists. Yeah. Know, I, I, I agree with that. But so I guess it's fair to say that we're specialists in the radio world since uh you know we've hung
1: in there for nine years <laughs> yeah i would say that's true and tommy's a specialist of what he does he's a uh,
3: absolutely
1: he's a specialist there in the board engineering world and and mm-hmm. you did pretty good at that for a while and now you've moved on to uh, theater and uh, stage yeah. management and uh, that's pretty cool and uh oh we well, just got a text here uh yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> I, as usual, Alan has to correct me. Well, okay, Alan. So Alan will probably be the next person to call in in a minute if he can get to his phone. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, okay, Bobby. So how are things in Orlando? Still pretty good up there? Yep,
3: yep. Uh, doing well.
1: Doing well. Okay, well, good. Um, Anyway, well, I miss you. I wish you were here, but uh, you're there, keep, so keep you c- talking. I don't time in as needed. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, anyway, so that was my story on the on the expert thing and about car stuff and 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 knowing all that stuff, you know, because I read this stuff all the time. Uh, Donald Osborne, for example, he's uh, you see him on Jay Leno. He's uh, um, comes on. He does the uh, assassin caress. You know, he's an appraiser as well, fellow appraiser, I should say, and a friend of mine. I see him all the time. And we talk about this. We've even had this discussion. And he doesn't even consider himself an expert. He considers himself very, very knowledgeable. So you know, modesty goes a long way. Now I think the phone's lining up again. Here we got another guest on the line. There, Charlie's on the line. Charlie's on the line. Charlie, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, happy anniversary! Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what? That that would have been the song to play, but that's happy anniversary, happy
3: anniversary, happy anniversary. Something you mean like the Flintstones version uh
1: yeah i guess that oh would you work.
3: mean uh you meant happy anniversary baby got you on my little <laughs> river band great yeah, 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 song yeah 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 good
1: song okay it's okay. in
3: the chorus on it it's e minor 9 a 13 the first two chords for that song it's oh. a great song
1: okay it's
3: it's also the first two chords, because I'm an expert musician. So oh, you're an expert. Like. <laughs> yeah. Of uh, <laughs> uh, the same song of Lowdown, Bod Skag, from B- the, the album Silk Degrees.
1: Okay. Which okay.
3: some people still think that's the first disco song, but they actually realized the first rap song was by who?
1: Uh, Female. Oh, you got she me. She was
3: blonde. Oh, oh, sometimes, Blondie! Sometimes Blondie, yeah, Deborah Harry. Yeah, the, you know, she did that space thing, eating cars, cars eating cars. Yeah, get it, get it, whatever she was saying. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we have Alan on the phone. Alan wants to chime in and put his two cents in because he's got to correct me on 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 parts. And Alan, I was just in case you're still listening, which I know you are. I was just rattling off numbers as an example. I wasn't really going there. But anyway, but I got your text. So how you doing, buddy?
3: I'm fine. How you doing? Hanging
1: in there. Well, now we played telephone tag about five times a day, but that's okay. We're still here.
3: Yeah, well, yeah,
0: I'll actually
1: um, tag you, right? Tag you, okay. Well, I was actually in Tampa today. I was looking at uh, visiting a friend of mine who recently acquired one of my old race cars from way back when, which he recently had restored, which I'm going to post on 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 the uh, Facebook page, that's what they call it, Facebook page, and it is the 1983-84 Gatorade car, NASCAR, and it was the 1984 car that Rusty Wallace won the uh, Rookie of the Year in, and the car just, ab- it was done, and restored by a gentleman by the name of Bill Ryan, I'm going to try to get him on the show, up in uh, High Point, North Carolina, or someplace near North Carolina there up there, or maybe he's near Charlotte, I'm not sure, but anyway, in that, in that uh, NASCAR world up there, but somewhere in the, in the in the Charlotte area, and uh, the car's absolutely stunning. So the car's over in Tampa. I'm going to do a little little feature on it. And uh, hopefully it'll be at some of the, uh, some of the, some of the pretty cool uh, car events coming up here. Hey, Manila. Al,
3: how you feeling? I'm uh, better than you, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, heard you, I heard they gave you a Shih Tzu in your room. <laughs> is it true you had a that, Shih Tzu on that, your that, lap? That's what you call a high commode. <laughs> yeah, Al, what do, you, what do you get when you cross an, on- get, an onion and a donkey? Um Charlie
2: no, no come on
3: Sometimes you you get it an onion with big ears but if you're lucky, you get a piece of you know what that'll bring tears to your eyes. Ah! ah. Yeah, hey, this is this better. is
1: a this is a family show. Okay.
3: Anyway, I, I was well, out of town up Valley in the mountains Valley. racing, so sorry about the three. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. I feel better. You guys do good. This could only happen on your anniversary. So hold on, Jay's gonna call up in five minutes.
1: Yeah, okay. Jay's gonna okay. call.
3: By the way, Robert, your anniversary gift. Our
1: ninth anniversary show is a small block Chevy painted bright orange. Ooh. Ooh, you really know how to hurt a guy. All right, we're gonna go to a commercial break. I think we got a song queued okay, up. see you later, bye. All right, take care guys. Anyway, Bobby, I'll see you later. Okay, Bob. Bobby left. Bobby left, okay, no worries. All right, so we're gonna fire up a little uh I think we're gonna keep it kinda little on the jazzy side tonight. We're gonna kinda class it up a little bit here. And uh here's a little Sergio Mendez, Brazil 66, and one of my favorite songs, Masconata. Hey you're tuning in to Nostalgic and Cars Don't Touch That Da. We will be, yes, I promise you, right back. <muchas> <muchas>
2: O samba está animado O oh, que eu quero é samba Este samba
1: Que é misto de maracatu É samba de preto bem O
2: samba de preto du Mais que nada Um samba como esta
1: Call me at 727 541 1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports 727 541 1741. And be sure to tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network AM 1340. Okay, we're back and you tune into nostalgic premium cars and uh, let's see, let's go to the FLA Car shows minute here. let's see what's going on this weekend. Well, check out FloridaCarShows.com. and you can find out where all the events are because there's stuff going on everywhere and uh, Orlando's got a lot of stuff going on. South Florida's got a lot of stuff going on and we're getting towards the end of May and uh, starting to get a little hot and humid. So car shows will start to subside a little bit. However, However, there's one type of show that seems to always flourish, and that is your... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, your basic cars and coffees. This weekend, the third, uh, third, 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 third Saturday of each month, is a depart cars and coffee right over here off of uh, Almerton Road, and uh, we'll probably be there. If you want to get a good parking spot, you know, it used to be 7 o'clock. Now, you really got to get there at 536, so you won't even get a spot. And uh, I know I've rolled in there a few times at six thirty, and I had to park down the street, so uh, no big deal. And then at eight o'clock, everybody heads over to Dimmitt Auto Group down there on Gandy, and uh, that's the McLaren dealership, and they have the Aston Martins, and then they have uh, Rolls Royces, and uh, let's see what else they got. Uh, pretty some some really cool high-end cars over there, so. But what makes the Dimmit Cars and Coffee special is they have Krispy Kreme donuts. Yes, Krispy Kreme donuts. They got bagels and they got some bananas and they got orange juice and they got some cranberry juice and they got coffee. But they have Krispy Kreme donuts, chocolate covered and glazed. Yum, yum, yum. And I gotta tell you, you know, I just have a real craving for those. Because as a matter of fact, uh, Krispy Kreme is right down the street. Actually, we should figure out a way to get Krispy Kreme to be one of our sponsors. But anyway, having said that, those are the big events uh, coming up this weekend. No more swap meets until the 1st of June. I think there's one that's the last one for the Sumter County deal. And if you're up north, let's just say north of the, uh, way north of the equator, you know, let's just like, like up around uh, Illinois and New England and Michigan, and uh, they got some pretty cool car shows going on up there. So pretty neat stuff. I know a lot of the guys that come down here in the wintertime. Also, run back up there and participate in a lot of the shows. There's a lot of good stuff going on, and then uh, obviously if you're out west, California, places like that, Nevada, um, Idaho, Washington State, Oregon, a lot of car shows going on, and they're almost 365 years out of the day, out of the or 365 days out of the year, um, because the weather's not bad out there. And you know what's amazing, and it's, it never ceases to amaze me, is the cars out there just don't rust, particularly up in Oregon and, and Washington uh, State. There's just a lot of really clean cars up there. But anyway, having said it, I think we're going to fire up the stereo again. We're going to get our special guests on the show for the evening. And uh, what do we got here? Oh, we have a little Don Ellis. How about a little uh, Whiplash? It's a pretty cool old song. A little, uh, we're going to kind of go jazzy, bluesy here today for you guys. Okay, hey, don't touch that down. We'll be right back. And you're tuned to, yes, Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: I walked out in the field this morning at 9.30 and I looked out at the sea of people. And I just, I just it just took me back to the first years of this Concord when Bill started and he'd worked 12 months for that Concord. and after it's all done and he finally worked to get everything taken down, he had to pour thousands and thousands of dollars out of his own pocket to pay the final expenses. He didn't make any money out He did that for the first few years. And every year, he put more money into it. About 50% of our show is centered around race cars and racing personalities. Uh, I've always been into racing. I've raced for about 35 years myself. I felt it would be an appropriate time to celebrate the career of our heroes and allow the public to have interface with them. Something you can't do at a racetrack. You can't go to the Daytona 500 and shake Jeff Gordon's hand. You can come to Amelia and meet Johnny Rutherford, Dario Franchitti, Dan Gurney, Sterling Moss. It'd be like a a guy into baseball being able to go up and shake Mickey Mantle's hand.
2: It's a wonderful event for everybody concerned. You know, there's a great range of cars. You don't have to be a great specialist in order to enjoy them. This place is absolutely alive with the cars uh, all around and the the spectators to go with it. He just puts on a tremendous event. He works very hard at it. So does everybody else in the whole organization. It's It's a huge success from his point of view and in fact the whole organization when he's able to write that check on Sunday night for the hospice that it supports. I'm not really a Concord
0: guy. I'm not the kind of guy that picks grass out the tires and polishes everything. I drive my cars, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to bring an event to the Jacksonville area. It's just grown exponentially. People say, well, you're the newest Concord around. Well, we're 18 years old now. You know, We're not the newest kid on the block. Where I think I have succeeded is if someone comes up after the show who's very, very, very knowledgeable, a Jay Leno of this world who knows every car, walks up to me and says, I never knew that car existed. If they do that, I I go away smiling. This is a show for guys who are really interested in the people, in the history, and uh, all of the the things that that, that made the automobile interesting. And uh, Bill has understood that. I mean, he manages to find the most interesting cars and people and brings them down here. And he's been innovative every year with his seminars and has made this a whole broad week down here incredibly exciting things we're exposing these young children to career paths they may not think about in design or building we're going to talk about how our car evolves and i think it's something we owe to the community we can't just write checks to charities and walk away we've got to do something educational and that's part of what we do here
2: it's very very special i mean it's something we like to come to obviously we meet a lot of friends um, and, you know, it's just one of those occasions, I guess, in, in the year that one says, OK, that's where we want to be, Amelia Island. This is it.
0: The two fairways out there are my canvas, and every every year I I paint a portrait of automotive history. And to me, that's exciting.
2: This is Jochen Maas. Hello. And you hear nostalgic radio and autos. Wunderbar.
1: Hey, we're back. You're tuned into nostalgic radio and cars. And uh, that was uh, Jochen Maas talking in Deutsch. Anyway, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my good friend, the chairman and founder of Amelia Island, the premier auto event in the world, in my opinion, now. I'm convinced. Bill Warren. Bill, how you doing this evening? Oh,
4: I'm fine, Robert. Yourself?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm glad you were able to join me here this evening for my ninth anniversary. Yeah. And,
4: congratulations. Nine years.
1: Yeah. And i got to tell you, I, again, special, special thanks go out to you because you've been very, very instrumental over the years in helping me get some of the most amazing people on my show. You know, Some of them are still here. Some of them, unfortunately, have gone on to the big racetrack in the world but, uh, or in the sky. But um, thank you, thank you, thank you again very much from the bottom sure. of my heart.
4: My pleasure. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to be having our silver anniversary.
0: Wow, next year. I, its
4: hard to believe twenty-five years. I mean, I, I had dark hair, no glasses, and no pacemaker.
1: <laughs> well, today you were—we was were talking a little bit, and you were in the dark room, and you were doing uh, looking through some old negatives from yours. Now you—yeah,
4: we're digging up stuff for next year's program. Okay, and working with my friend Dave Friedman out in California, who got some of the early stuff from the West Coast, and uh, you know. It, uh, I've been shooting for, I guess, nearly 50 years. And um, I never had a real good filing system. (laughs) I'd shoot uh, something for road and track, and I'd um, go print the prints up, send them out to Newport Beach, California, and then, you know, on to the next race and throw everything in a box. (laughs) That's kind of the way it went. And now I'm trying to sort out all those boxes.
1: Well, now you mentioned Dave Friedman. Um, most people might recognize the name because he was like the main photographer for Carol Shelby. But he did other right. things. Why don't you go on and talk a little bit about what Dave? Oh done? yeah,
4: well he was a, he's a fabulous photographer. Mm-hmm. Good friend. Uh, he did a lot of movie stills. He worked on a lot of uh, uh, first class movies. And he worked with people like Steve McQueen. And stuff. So racing was kind of um, not secondary to him. It was another um, another opportunity. Uh, another uh, uh, card in the in the hand, but um, no. Dave was uh, very very talented. He has, in fact, he has a book out, and I'm in my library here. Let's see, it's it's called uh, My Life in the Movies. with Dave Friedman, if anybody gets a chance, go on the internet, and get My Life in the Movies, and it's got McQueen and and Arnold Schwarzenegger and. Uh, um he, he did all the stills for Greece and, you know, he's terrific, but, like you said, he was the official photographer for Carroll Shelby.
1: He get, he did a book a long time ago, and it was called The Cobra Archives. Yeah, he's
4: got a number of Cobra books, because he, he has got, he's got the archives.
1: Yeah, and um, one quick story was, there was a gentleman by the name of Tweedy, and Tweety used to come into my salvage yard all the time, and... Give gave us a story that he used to work for Carroll Shelby. The interesting thing was, is we, we, I wasn't so much into the racing side of Carroll Shelby, even though I was aware of it, but I was more into the production cars. Well, he said he, he didn't know anything about the production cars, but he knew an awful lot about the racing cars. Fast forward, I'm in a bookstore. I'm at Barnes & Noble one day, and, I just, and, and nobody believed him. Okay, nobody believed him. His name was Robert Aldridge. And uh, so I'm in the bookstore, and I'm flipping through there, and all of a sudden I see this picture, and it says, uh, factory team, race car painter, Robert Tweedy in italics Aldridge and I said you gotta be kidding me that's really him so I bought the book showed it to him and tears came from his eyes because nobody believed him including me mm-hmm. and uh, so that's why you know when you look at these books and it's like your show you, you know you you at the, at the end of that little clip that I edited for you yeah you know, that's
4: very nice Sterling uh, Moss,
2: and, and uh, Vic and all the Yeah, and Pete and
1: everybody. But you, you refer to it as your canvas. Those fairways are yeah. your canvas, and, and your paintings, and, and the history. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, it is that's truly what it is. Everything in the automotive world comes to life at Amelia Island, and you're doing a spectacular job of that.
4: Thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, our friend Miles Collier described it best. He did a, a piece after this year's show, and he described... Uh, Amelia Island is like Brigadoon. Mm. You know, it, it appears one day, it entertains, and then it's gone. You know, it's, and 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 that's true. it's true. Uh, it's it's almost like a fantasy land for a day. If if you're in the cars, you know, if you're not in the cars, it looks like a big parking lot. But,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in, people, I don't think people really realize the amount of effort and the teamwork that goes into putting on this event. And it takes a year to 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 put this show together. Truly, it does. doesn't We
4: have it? nine full time employees. Um, we're on the road all the time. You know, every year it's, um, it, it, it costs millions of dollars to put on the show. I mean, when you're talking about closing a golf course and staying at the Ritz-Carlton and, you know, and, and the uh, uh, demand outstrips the supply, uh, the cost of doing business is just obscene. But it is what it is, so we, we, we try to do it right.
1: It's fair to say, and this is just my observation, it's growing every year, though, exponentially.
4: Uh, Yeah, uh, last year's the biggest crowd uh, we've ever had. It was kind of funny this last year, because usually it it just explodes at 9.30, and then uh, uh, it starts tailing off around 2 in the afternoon, but... uh, this year it, it, it started a little slow, but by eleven or twelve o'clock, boy, it was packed to the gills.
1: The attendance uh, is what approximately would you say? I mean, about twenty thousand. Twenty thousand—that's quite a few people, though. Go through that. It event. is.
4: Yeah, you know, you never know what twenty thousand looks like. We do uh, drone shots uh, of the show at various hours to get an idea of, of, of the layout of cars and are we utilizing the space properly and you know, that sort of thing. And. Um, you run across. We had one drone shot, and I was looking down on it. And um, there's a guy laying flat on his back by a car. I don't know if he was taking a nap or passed out or what. <laughs> <laughs> well, we better go back and check that one out. So, you know, you call the, uh, the uh, EMTs and see if they've uh, picked up anybody recently. No. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we study that stuff. Um, we, we need to know when the crowd's coming in so we can adjust the shuttle buses you know, because we can't, you can't, it's a resort area. There's not parking lots near a resort hotel. And so we, we have to make sure that everybody gets in in time. We got to make sure the handicap are taken care of. We comply with ADA. There's just so many details that go into putting on the show. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's more than just parking cars. Um, there in a week that goes by that someone didn't call me and said, hey, we're gonna put on a Concord, what can you tell me? I said, look up I'm, I'm seventy five years old, man. I've been doing this for twenty five <laughs> years. This phone call isn't gonna get much done, I guarantee you that
1: <laughs> take us back to uh, you know, because people love to hear stories. So take us back to Bill Warner. When Bill Warner first started getting involved in cars. What were you like as a kid? What was what, oh, was, what turned uh, you on?
4: Well I you know, it's kinda hard I don't remember when I wasn't involved in in cars. Um, my mother jokingly said, and I don't know if it's true or not, that my first word was Chevrolet. I do remember that my tricycle was a Buick, you know, (laughs) and uh, I, I was never into stick and ball games. I was really a nerd. I was not very coordinated. Um, didn't grow till I got to college. And I used to pedal my bike to all the dealerships. Automobile Row in Jacksonville was about two blocks from my house. So I'd go bug the dealers and, you know, try to find the new cars before they came out and, just generally be a pain, and uh,
1: you did what that, every kid did, though. We all did that. That was that's what we did back in those days.
4: Um, not in my days. I mean, if you didn't play football, you or baseball, you were you were some sort of a weirdo.
1: Okay, then and I was a weirdo uh, too. So, but that's yeah, so I, uh,
4: But um, um, I when I got out of high school, I uh, uh, went to the Citadel. That's where I got my degree from and i i took up photography there and someone said well i didn't know you're interested in photography i said no the photographer on the yearbook you got out of marching in parades I, you know I'd, I'd have a camera around, around my neck i didn't necessarily have film in it but you know i <laughs> made, made it look good so i didn't have to march okay and uh, uh one thing led to the other and then i started doing a lot of yearbook work and then um uh, got out of school and Started going to the races at Daytona shooting for a magazine called Sports Car Graphic, which was owned by Peterson at that time. It was a sister magazine to Motor Trend. And then in 1970, uh, they put Sports Car Graphic uh, away permanently. And uh, Road and Track was looking for somebody down here in Florida. Because magazines are historically cheap, and they didn't want to pay for someone to fly in from uh, from California, so I became their guy down here.
1: Okay. Now, when you when you when you graduated from school, because I know you're an independent businessman, did you start yeah. your own business then, or did you do the photography for a while?
3: And... My
4: my dad had a little business. He and one other guy selling industrial filtration equipment. In fact, my dad was from Tampa. Oh, really? Uh, my granddad uh, was the one who located the port at Tampa. And I think there's a bed and breakfast there called a Warner House or something. that was my uncle, Robert Warner, or my great-uncle, maybe great-great-uncle. But we were all from the Bay Area down there. If you go to Warner's Bayou, which is just off of the road from what was called at that time Town. It's called Bradenton now. But Bradentown to Anna Maria Island, there's Warner Bayou, and that was my, my uh, great-grandfather.
1: Oh, no kidding.
4: Yeah. He made the—they uh, uh, came to Florida in 1868. And settled uh, on the Manatee River.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
4: Anyway, um, getting away from where we were on that. Okay. But, um, yeah, I stepped into the the business and grew it, and then when I had a chance to put on a Concord Delegance, I'd been in the filter business about 35 or 40 years, and it was getting boring, (laughs) And, and, and we... They're boring for me, you know. You, you do anything for that long a time. A lot of people just retire, but I, I was ready to do something else. You
1: know, I don't know if I ever asked you what was your first car.
4: <laughs> a '61 Buick Lesabre two-door hardtop. No power steering. No power brakes. No power windows. It was it was a basic car. It was my dad's travel car, hand-me-down.
1: But you know that '61 Buick with that kind of like bubble top back glass window. Yeah, what that was, it? was a that pretty, pretty
4: car. car. Yeah. It was a wonderful car. Um, I used to drag race it at Walterboro Drag Strip, Walterboro, South Carolina. And, of course, the family didn't know it. And, you know, <laughs> I did very in-depth uh Preparation, Robert. I put forty pounds of air in the front tires. Took off the hubcaps, and the air cleaner, and I was ready to go. <laughs> that was race prep
1: back then. That was race prep. Okay, so that had probably some little nailhead V eight in it, if I, I remember. I think
4: it was a three sixty four V eight. Yeah, I think the, uh, if I remember correctly, I think the the Sabre was three sixty four, and then in the Invicta and the uh, Electras were were four zero ones
1: had the big motor in it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, Buick, you know, that was just, I mean, you know, we had, uh, in fact, I met Tommy Ivo at Amelia Island. And yeah. shortly thereafter, we had Tommy on our show, and he raced Buick Motors back in the day. He
4: did. He had a deal with Buick, and he did uh, uh, drag cars.
1: Uh-huh.
4: And uh, he's he's still out there. I, I You know, he's got to be 85 years old now.
1: Yeah, I didn't need to invite him back on the show, because was, that was a good story. He used to come down here to the Tampa Bay area and race at Twin City. And and I think Bradington might have been, may not have been around them, or Sunshine might have been. And he was telling us stories about how he used to uh, race against uh, the Swamp
4: Rat, oh, Mr. Yeah. Don Garlitz. Yeah, well, you know, there's a, a gentleman in Tampa that's got the uh, um, showboat, the four-buick engine dragster.
1: That's here locally?
4: Yeah. Uh-huh. We had it at the show a few years ago.
1: Okay. All right. I remember that car. I didn't know it was in Tampa, though.
4: Yeah. Bay Area. I don't know exactly where. Okay. But,
1: uh... What, uh, when you... So, when you started out, you kind of like a lot of kids, and you kind of... Did you high rod your Buick a little bit, or did you kind of...
4: About the only thing I did. I was kind of a, a sporty car guy. Okay. So, I I put a set of Lucas pencil beams on it, you know? <laughs> okay. And, and uh, I, I didn't know enough to put a, um, uh, a, um, solenoid relay in it, and, uh, I'd be going down the backwoods of South Carolina in the in the uh, uh, forest there north of Charleston, the the, uh, the Great Ghost, uh, the Pemberton Forest, and the lights would go out. You
1: know, <laughs> <laughs> blue fuse.
4: I later I later learned if you you put something like that on it you gotta you gotta put a relay in there
1: <laughs> break the voltage down a little bit yeah it does yeah yeah, yeah. so when it, what was your force for your first foray into uh, sports cars.
4: Um, in 1971, I bought a Porsche 911 T, which I still have today, 48 years later.
3: Okay,
4: and it's um, I bumped it up to a 27 with big heads and big Webers. Now, uh, ran the car in the 75 Cannonball,
3: oh. and
4: uh, uh, still uh, I bought the car for 7,900. dollars Seven thousand nine hundred dollars was what a a Porsche cost then, and a 911,
1: no less. 911. Well, today that's a hundred and some thousand dollar car. Easy, right?
4: Uh, I think it was a cover car on Car and Driver. Oh. Uh, it it may be worth more than that as as a um, one owner, never you know, never wrecked, never.
1: Oh yeah, been definitely.
4: Painted, been painted twice, but that's about it.
1: Well, in your case, because it's your car, the original car, and it was a cover car, it really is priceless. You know, you can't put a value on a car like that.
4: No, yeah, I'm going to pass it on to the family when I reach room temperature. It'll go to them.
1: (laughs) Okay, so now wait a minute. You drove that car you took on the Cannonball? Yeah,
4: 1975.
1: Who was your co-driver?
4: Tom Neal, who owned Tom Neal Truck Company. He and I later raced Camaros together. We owned, uh, we owned. uh, uh, I ran uh, Daytona and one GT race with him, and then. we ran Firehawk Series for a number of years. When it came out, we, we started in the Firehawk Series, the uh, first race, which was Sebring. Started, if you can believe this, Robert, 104 cars. on the... I mean, there, there were people getting the green flag on the front straight, and people were strung out for a mile on the back straight.
1: That's an extremely large field when you consider that most of the time it's, what, 50, 60 cars at best?
4: Yeah, but that Firehawk, you know, Firehawk was supposed to be showroom stock. They, you know, they weren't. They weren't. <laughs> uh, no, um, it was. Uh, uh, they were pretty well prepared. We, we we did a lot of little things uh, that uh, Impson never caught us on. You know, the, uh, for example, we could lower the front end about an inch if we used the four cylinder Camaro springs in the front. And they they looked the same, had the same coil count, but it would drop the nose and then give you a little bit more speed down the straightaway and. Uh, uh, we we did about thirty changes in the car just to make it more predictable.
1: You know, at your uh, at Amelia Island when you have these seminars, the one yeah. seminar that was extremely interesting was the uh, un- racing
4: was a, around the rules. N- racing
1: around the rules. When they pulled out <laughs> that, that carburetor and he slid that base plate out, I said, "Oh, wow." I had to walk up what there. I
4: loved was Ray Everham's three tape measures, one that measured oh, yeah. short, one that <laughs> measured long, and one that was accurate. I thought that was cool. Uh, I understand he wasn't the only one who had a set of those, by the way. <laughs>
1: okay. But that was, that, was, that was a very, very fun seminar. i got to tell you, that was good.
4: Ray. Ray said that he got more material out of that, that. We could do it two more times, you know, and, and never repeat, you know, the hidden nitrous bottles and the... Uh, the aluminum bumpers, and the aluminum uh, sheet metal, and you know the guys were pretty clever back then.
1: You know it's interesting too because you know when you go to a vintage race, and the tech guys are most of the time they're sports car guys. That guy, the high horsepower guys with the muscle cars and stuff like that, they're really cheating, and the and the and the techs don't catch it. Well, you know?
4: well, it's it's hard to say cheating in vintage because. They don't, okay. it, it isn't like the old days where you had a rule book and everybody knew what was expected and what wasn't expected. In in vintage racing, it's almost a run what you bring. You know, the Lola T70s that are out there now, most of them are fairly new cars uh, built by Mac McClendon. They all have huge engines. You know, a Lola T70 back then, uh, if, I, if I can remember correctly, I think they ran the 305 cubic inch Chevy engine. Mm-hmm. Well, there's. There's cars out there now running 400, 450 cubic inches or more. Um, I'm a little disenchanted with vintage racing nowadays. I just, I still do it, uh, but I, I think it should be split into there's vintage and there's historic, and never the two should meet. You know, if a car has history, it should run against other cars with history, and not against cars that are just made up.
1: Well, you know, wasn't that the original thought behind SVRA is supposed to be? A legit, historic car, where HSR is kind of like, could have been a modified car, modified to the period, isn't that kind of like the way it was supposed to? Yeah, well, it,
4: t- it kind of started out that way, but what happened, a, and I saw it happen one time at Daytona, I forget who it was, but they brought a priceless Ferrari 250 LM. You know, 250 LM is probably worth, pick a number, 10, 12 million dollars nowadays. And they brought it down to run it, and some guy in a clapped-out Camaro runs out of brakes and, you know, runs right into the back of it. Well, if a guy's got a fifteen million-dollar car, is he going to come back and and vintage racing? Of course not. You know, Um, the the drivers and the cars, and in some cases, this is twenty years ago, twenty-five years ago. um, The people who were putting on the races just turned a turned a blind eye to it. You know, they they needed the entry fees. Well, you know, it's. I still enjoy it, you know. Uh, David Hinton's a good friend of ours. They, he runs uh, uh, HSR. I run with him. In fact, they they're hauling my car out to California to Monterey. Monterey's a little bit more pure than a lot of the other races. But um, yeah, it's, it's going through. A, it's morphing into something more than what it was. Say, I suppose, say twenty years ago. But the first vintage race I ran was, I think, nineteen seventy eight.
1: What are you driving out of Monterey?
4: Uh, the Triumph TR8, the, oh, the uh, Transam okay. GTO car.
1: Okay, the old Bob Tour uh, the car.
4: first vintage car I had was a, a Brabham BT8, which was really almost putting your toe in the deep end of the pool. I was a, you know, I was young and kind of stupid, and uh, that car was uh, you lay you would lay down between two eleven gallon aluminum tanks of gasoline. Ooh, and you literally had only one little hoop roll bar, and you know, and the, the, the uh, coolant ran through the frame rails. I mean, the, the car—if you got into an accident, you were going to die. I mean, it was as simple as that. So, I ran it for about twelve years. I don't know if I wised up or it just got so valuable. I—I I sold it, but it's the car's in uh, Japan now.
1: Now, that's not a Formula One car, is it?
4: No, it was a sports racer. It was like a, think of a Lotus 23 on steroids.
1: Oh, wow. But
4: prettier, prettier than a Lotus 23.
1: You know, it's interesting because I've had a number of drivers over on the show, Brian Redman, Vic Alford, people like that, Dan Gurney, all these guys over the years, Mario Andretti, Prinella Jones. And when you, when you talk to these drivers, safety was never... An issue back then nobody ever thought about it
4: well the state of the art was what they had at that time no one thought about fuel cells no one thought about crush zones no one thought about roll cages you know it was kind of a um um that's the way they built them and that's way we we're going to race them and that's what, back then that's what they were being paid to do you know nowadays it's vintage racing you're not paid to do it why do something that puts your life on the line
1: well, like that car you're talking about. I mean, you vintage race that, and like I said, you're yeah. sitting there, sitting in, you're basically just one step away from bathing in gasoline.
4: Yeah. You, know? you got that right. I mean, <laughs> literally, the gas tank was at my elbow. Oh, man. And it was 11 gallons on one side of the car, and then there was a little second seat, and then 11 gallons on the other side of the car.
1: Wow. You and know. if
4: anybody T-boned you, there were no fuel bl- bladders. You know, there was nothing... Uh, um, to protect you, if you had a side collision, the aluminum was going to rip open and you were going to have a major fire.
1: Jeez. Jeez.
4: But you know, I was kind of stupid then.
1: Ah, you know what, but now they got it under control, so, uh, but it's, it's like the, the vintage racing, really, I mean, if you think about it, it's supposed to be a gentleman's sport. And I remember uh, Joe Pendergast saying, at a number of the races, he says, listen. History's been won. History's been established. We know who won. I don't want to see you guys out there swapping paint. Go out there and have a good time. But yeah. then, then I heard a couple of guys who were professional race car drivers talking on the side. Says you can't tell a professional race car driver to have a good time and be a gentleman at it. He, his instincts take over, and he wants to win at all costs. Yeah. And uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, when you drive, what type of inst- – now, you race professionally for a while. so
4: what- Well, kind of semi. All right. I mean, we got paid for winning, which was enough to buy a six-pack and dinner that night, you know.
1: <laughs> so, but did what, did what are your instincts like when you get in that race car, you get in that TR8 or your TR6 or some of the other cars you've had over the years? Do you Do you think, okay, this is vintage, this is a sport – and this is kind of like a hobby. This is not, I'm going to go out here at all costs and try to win my class. What, what goes through your mind?
4: What goes through your mind? <laughs> you <want to> win. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. Yeah, some of the best races I've ever had or been with uh, the guys up in, in, in New England, uh, Kent Bain. And uh, we go at it tooth and nail. However, you do cut them a, everybody cuts everybody else a little slack. You know, you're not going to chop anybody off. Uh and uh, you know, you realize that this that Red Bull's not going to sign us on Monday, they, they don't have their scouts out, you know, um, and you want to have fun, that you don't want to do anything that hurts anybody. But uh, yeah, we, we go at it pretty good. okay I, I, I can I think I can say that I, I haven't done anything stupid in a vintage car like I used to do in the Camaro. But in the Camaro, you had so much sheet metal around you. You know, you, you could you could afford to be stupid sometimes.
3: <laughs>
1: okay.
4: But uh, the, the Camaros were, were really a lot of fun. We uh, but, uh, And those cars, you know, in the Firehawk Series, we didn't have fuel cells either. We ran with normal fuel tanks. Is
1: that a regular and, gas tank in it?
4: Yeah, and I, I, I they now run fuel cells. But I said to Ray who who is the head of the platform group from General Motors, who was helping us out a lot. Uh, I said, Ray, I said, Boy, I've, every car I've ever driven up to now in in racing other than to Brabham, um, had a fuel cell. I'm a little nervous about driving a car with a uh with just a gas tank. And he says, Oh, Bill, don't worry he says, The way General Motors builds these cars, the gas tank is under the floor and in front of the rear axle. He says, uh, the accident would kill you before the fire would get to you. No, that's nice to no. know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, we are up against the clock here again but, uh why don't you go well, Happy
4: ahead. anniversary.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Why don't you, real quick, uh, give out the info for uh, Amelia Island so people can kind of follow you guys?
4: Uh, March 5th through 8th at the uh, Ritz Carlton Amelia Island. And we'll be celebrating our 25th anniversary. And stand by next week. And we will be announcing our honoree who is going to be big news.
1: Super, super, super. Bill, again, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening and uh, sharing my nine year anniversary with me. And. Uh, I look forward to hanging out with you guys again. And someday, someday, I would love to be part of your team. So keep me in mind. But we
4: uh, Will do. Thanks, Robert. All
1: right. Thank you. Hey, I want to thank, thank my special guest this evening, Bill Warner, chairman and founder of the Amelia Island Concourse. And, uh, hey, I want you guys, don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Talent Talk Radio Network between 8 and, no, 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. Don't forget the Cars and Coffee this weekend, DuPont and Dimmit. Follow us on our social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, What else we got going on? All that kind of cool stuff. And in the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.